Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Proverbs chapter number one. I want you to help me preach tonight because this is one of those times and this has happened different times in my ministry that I might be standing up here for one, okay? Because I realize, I understand that every time I step behind a sacred desk and I preach or teach that I might not hit every individual in the, setting under the sound of my voice. For that matter, it is virtually an impossibility for that to happen and take place. Sometimes certain segments are ministered to, other segments are ministered to, certain age groups, other age groups, so on and so forth. I have known sometimes that it seems like probably if whenever I left that place, whether it be a church of 100 or, or, or 50, sometimes I walked away praying and knowing maybe after the fact that maybe it was just for one. Yet God is so diligent and careful and mindful of us that he will even speak to one among the hundreds. Okay? So now with that in mind, don't start tightening up on me. All right. Don't start getting your checkbook out and start balancing it. (laughs) Clipping your fingernails. When Sister McGee and I traveled, there was a certain lady at a certain church. Man, I don't know what it was. (laughs) She, she... My wife sat behind her one time in service and she had this piece of paper out. My wife at first thought perhaps she was balancing her checkbook. Man, she's doing math over here. She's writing figures, adding, subtracting, doing all this stuff. No purpose at all. She wasn't balancing a checkbook. Uh, That's the way she passed time during preaching. She did math over here on a sheet of paper and she would just constantly add, subtract, divide, multiply. You never know what you might find in church service. So please don't, don't sharpen your math skills right now. In your genealogy or genealogy, don't start searching it on your iPhone. Just stay with me here a little bit and help me tonight. Can you help me? Come on. Everybody say, Pastor, we're going to help you. I appreciate that tonight. I appreciate that tonight. Proverbs chapter number one. We will also be turning over to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. And by the way, I had to see that for myself. I mean, I trusted my wife. That lady would always leave her Bible at church. I went over there and dug in it. And seen her arithmetic. I wanted to look at it long enough and just say that she probably missed one. (laughs) Proverbs chapter number one, verse 10. The Bible says, this is the first chapter of Proverbs here. He says, my son, if sinners, which the root word for sinners is sin, if sinners or if I might interject sin entice thee, consent thou not. 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'm going to read with verse 1. If I may just kind of a little footnote on the Proverbs scripture here. Proverbs starts talking about wisdom in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 1. Speaking about wisdom and speaking about knowledge. And in its opening debut of its subject matter. Its first 
chapter, if you will, that it denotes concerning using wisdom and knowledge is don't walk in the way of sinners or sin. That's important to me. I think that says something to me. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, The man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, skip down to verse number eight. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachamite that sat in the seat chief among the captains. The same was Adino the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And to save us from reading the entirety of this list because it is somewhat lengthy. I go all the way down to verse number 39, which is important as he's naming these mighty men, people who had his best interest in mind. He lists as in the 39th uh, verse, Uriah, the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. 30 and 7 all accounted for. And among the list there is Uriah, the Hittite. I want to this evening, and I absolutely, this is not just wanting but need the help of the Lord tonight, to minister this, live life with no regrets. Live life with no regrets. God, I don't know who I'm reaching for tonight. But God, I pray for acceptable words. God, I pray for acceptable words. God, if there's one that this is to dig out tonight, God, so be it. And I'll go and return to my seat this evening and I'll thank you for your help, for your instruction. God, and if from this service, Lord, I never know, I still go to my seat tonight, God. I thank you and I praise you, Jesus, God, for your instruction. I pray, oh God, tonight, touch these precious people, God, for whom, Lord, this may not even apply. I pray, oh God, bless them, Lord, for just getting under the load of your word tonight. God, bless them, Lord, in their diligence to be faithful to your word and to your house. The lovely name of, of Jesus Christ that we pray. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Look at your neighbor before you're seated this evening and tell them to live life with no regrets. Amen. You may be seated this evening. The Bible states that these be the last words of David. And although we know these are not his per se literal last words because he also had some words with his son Solomon later telling him of what he should be watchful for. He told him that the enemies that he had had but these are the last words in the sense that 
These are the last inspired words of David. In so much that they are his last psalm. They are his last inspired words. The Bible is speaking as these being the words that come from the sweet psalmist of Israel. This man who was raised up on high and anointed of the God of Jacob. These are the last inspired words of David. And in sharing these final words, it is interesting for me to denote this evening as he is speaking these last inspired words that he lists his mighty men that he has had in his life. And this recollection of these men of renown are more than just something that David is recalling, but they are an inspired recollection that God has caused him to pen and have available for you and I. God has called these men back to the remembrance of David. These were men who were considered labeled mighty men, men that had David's best interest in mind, men who had the kingdom's best interest in mind. Many of them would be denoted as warriors. Some of them would be considered fighters. Each of them have done some unbelievable task that warrants our attention, perhaps even a generation's attention this evening. These men that I am speaking to you that David was inspired to write, these were not just draftees. These were elite warriors who fought for David. These were men who fought for David and fought for Israel. They were known by their notable acts. They were known by their chivalry. They were known by their ability to perform and by their diligence to safeguard their king. These were men that you would have found encircled around about David. Oft times as a king would go to battle, he would have those most prized possession of men, men that they could depend upon and rely upon for protection to be in close uh, proximity to them. So these are men that you would probably found encircled around about David as lines of defense. These were the protectors and these were the shielders of the life of David. And at the beginning of his, I might be a little trained here tonight to get me a little while to go on, but let the smoke blow later, amen. The beginning of this list is littered with a lot of names tonight. We only read a couple or three of them, but it's littered with names. And, and in the beginning, it's littered with a lot of deeds as well. Uh, just to recount some of the deeds of these so-called mighty men, the Bible speaks of one that slays 800 men with a spear, at one time. Amen. Now there's been a lot of uh, controversy and even talk over that. Uh, where, where, whenever it says 800 men at one time, that's an awful long spear. No. <laughs> 
I don't know if I necessarily support that interpretation. Hallelujah. But nevertheless, one man against 800 to slay, 800 men with his spear, that's quite a great feat, a notable act, if you will, for him. Another, the Bible says, fights until his hand is fused to his weapon. Clay to his sword and it's fused to his weapon. The Bible speaks of three men, three of the captains that went to get David the water of Bethlehem in a time of war and put their lives in danger. This is the characteristics of mighty men. They hazarded, they hazarded their lives for their king. They put their lives in danger for their king. The Bible states that another slays two lion-like men and at a, another occasion that they kill an actual lion. And I, I, I love the poetry seemingly of this line. Killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. How descriptive. And the list then, we have a lot of detail. We have names, we have acts, and we have deeds. And as the list continues, the deeds seem to fall off. It becomes a little bit more vague. Now, we're just reading an announcement of individual names, yet these are still denoted and attributed as mighty men. And as we go down through the names, David is still revering these men just as mighty as those he also put their deeds with. Just as mighty as all those others that we know exactly what they had done these other men whose actions are not recorded they are still termed and revered as mighty men everybody say mighty men and among this quite lengthy list that David is recounting being inspired of God amen to include we come lastly to verse 39 mentioned in the 39th verse of this chapter and David divine inspired utterance and recording and recollection includes among the list of mighty men Uriah the Hittite 37 and in all and to include some men that may not have the biblical scholarly uh, mindset as some may not know who Uriah the Hittite is or was. But Uriah the Hittite would be or is rather the man that David took his life in so many words. David had through a procedure had taken the life of Uriah the Hittite. And with that in the forefront of your mind tonight, I cannot but help think that with a memory of regret, although inspired by the Spirit, with a memory of regret, David is pinning among the mighty men Uriah the Hittite. Not regretful because Uriah wasn't a mighty man, but because he was a mighty man that David had removed from his own life. Someone say glory. So in recounting his life, even a God-inspired word, he's considering all these mighty men and Uriah, the man he had taken out of his own life, he even denotes as a mighty man. Now just, we're gonna have to walk here for a while. I don't know the exact defining moment 
I don't know the exact defining time that took place for Uriah whenever he became a mighty man. I don't have a deed associated with his name that tells me like some of the others that denotes for David that this man was a mighty man. Hey man, Uriah has no accompanying deed. Hey man, I'm not made aware of if Uriah was a mighty man before David's fall with Bathsheba or after his fall with Bathsheba. However, from the information that I received concerning Uriah, hey man, I understand by the scripture that I believe tonight that Uriah was a mighty man before David ever got involved with Bathsheba. I believe that Uriah dedicated his life to David. Had David's best interest in mind as a shielder and a protector of David long before David ever entered that shady part of his life and time of his life. Uriah did not just have a solitary commitment. Uriah had a life of commitment that he gave unto David his king. Someone say glory. Yet it was Uriah that David purposefully removed consciously removed, set him in harm's way. Had the captain, Joab, withdraw the other soldiers from him during the heat of the battle (laughs) and then allowed his life there to be murdered and also take away, if you will, his wife. I believe Uriah had shown his dedication in that particular time of David's life. And maybe as David is recounting all of this, in his final hours, David's realizing something, maybe that he's realized before, but it's brought back to his memory right now as he's getting closer to the end of life. And David's recalling how instrumental he has been in taking the life of one of his own mighty David, what has happened to you, David? David, the warrior, what has happened to you? Your introduction in the eye of the public as being a fighting machine, as being a valiant man, took place after Saul admonished you after the battle of Goliath, and Saul spoke to you, said, David, fight the Lord's battle. He entered the public eye being seen and denoted as a man that fought the Lord's battles. And seemingly from that moment forward, it seems like David has been the man that any time there's a battle of enemies that's coming against the Lord his God and defying the Lord, you're gonna see David. He's out there fighting. He's fighting the Lord's battle. He's fighting the Lord's battle against the Lord's enemy. He's doing valiantly for the name of the Lord. He doesn't have his own self or own endeavor in the picture, but anything that concerns God, David said, make me a part of it. I'm ready to fight the Lord's battle. But David, what has happened to you, David? Because one time you entered in where the king was, King Saul. And you cut off the skirt of his garment. And the Bible says that your heart smote you. Because you cut off the skirt of Saul. 
Because whenever Saul and Jonathan died and you had lamentation and crying, you spoke of them as mighty men. David, what's happened to you that even whenever you were a little younger, just cutting off the skirt of one of the mighty men would cause your heart to be smoked, cause conviction to fall upon your spirit, cause you to wish you had never done it. For now, not you just cutting off the skirt of one of your mighty men, but you are willing to take their life, someone that has their best interest. deliberately planned the removal of Uriah you were there in the cave with Saul and there was a little premeditation but it was seemingly an act of a, a just spontaneousness and, and your heart was smoked by touching that mighty man but now you're willing to take the life of a mighty man just follow me here this evening the Bible says look with me if you will this is the story of David. This is the story of David with Bathsheba. This is the story of David taking the life of Uriah. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1, the scripture says, amen, do we have it tonight? Thank you, Sister Sheila. And it came to pass. And let me say, I'm glad to have a new and various faces in the media booth. Amen, can we give them a, I know, right here, the commercial, right? Can we give them a hand, those who have stepped up to the plate? That's tremendous. Now, back to our story. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Hallelujah. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. See, according to history of Old Testament times, there were certain seasons in the year that people would do war. And there were other seasons they would not. In other words, there was proper etiquette for warfare. There were times that you went to war and there was times that you would not wage war. David is coming through a season of time for he and Israel when it's been by proper etiquette a time not to wage war. They've been very long now without warfare taking place. There's been a season of no warfare. If I can say it like this, everybody's taking their armor. Everybody's hung up their shield and their sword and their helmet because it was not a time for war. But now that has elapsed. Now it's the season for warfare. Now it's the time when kings go forth to war. But the Bible says that David sends Joab and he sends his servants. And look at the last phrase of verse number one. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it's why... And listen, folks, I, I looked at this perhaps a little differently in my studies over the past few weeks. Uh, Brother Mason, we oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, just pin David against the wall. Bless God, it's a time to go to war, and he's not going to war. The Bible doesn't say that he never had an intention to go to war. The Bible just says he tarried at Jerusalem, meaning that he might have delayed. Maybe he thought he was going to take care of a few other items and then get out there, you know, tomorrow or the next day. Regardless, it was a time for war and David delayed to go to war. 
and it's in that time in verse number two and it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose off of his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself the woman was very beautiful to look upon and David sent and inquired after the woman and, and one said is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Elam amen the wife of Uriah the Hittite ladies and gentlemen I want to just come out put a little nugget amen in our lives tonight David what happened to you how was it that you could somehow you know at one time your heart smote you for touching a mighty man someone that had your best interest in mind someone that's looking after you caring for you and now that you come to a place later in your life that you have taken the life of one how does that transition happen how does that transition take place I tell you verse number one through three holds some of the uh, interest if you will some of the reasoning why all of that takes place because had David been out fighting the battles of the Lord he had not been subjected to his own personal battle I gotta tell us this evening whether I'm talking to one tonight if you'll still engage in the Lord's battle still engage in the battles of God do not stop from going do not delay from going but if you engage in the Lord's battle you can save yourself a lot of heartache with your own personal temptations and your own personal battles if you'll keep the main thing the main thing and still rightfully engage in the Lord. So, so what's the first step in a man removing a man that had his best interest in mind from his life? I'll tell you what it is. He stopped or delayed in fighting the Lord's battle. And folks, our delay, our failure to fight the Lord's battle, it will subject us to some personal battles that perhaps we may never have had to face had we not delayed had we not delayed or had we not failure to show up all together? Can I ask us personally? Can you reflect in your mind personally tonight? God, how many personal battles could have I avoided if I continued fighting your battle? Furthermore, since David's still at home, has went through a spell of no warfare. His armor's not on yet. If I can talk to us about Ephesians 6, that we are to put on the whole armor of God. David, your armor is not on yet. You have taken off your armor because it's been etiquette in a season of no warfare. And so you're standing there in your own personal battle now without any protection from the enemies. Because you are now not yet gone back into warfare. Can I tell you today, we will meet our greatest personal battles whenever we stop fighting the battles of the Lord. From our series that we just got done on on Wednesday nights concerning Elijah, ask yourself the question, when did he fight his greatest personal battle in 1 Kings 19? Whenever Jezebel said, hey, we're coming for your life. And rather than fighting, he went fleeing. He read for his life. He said, I don't want to fight this battle anymore. But when you do that, you subject yourself to a personal battle. Someone say amen. As the story would go, 2 Samuel 11, he calls Uriah the Hittite home. He's already 
slept with Bathsheba. She is with child. I want you to notice something. I told this to my wife the other day just because it just kind of caught my eye. Notice at verse number three, Sister Sheila. David inquires about the lady. Honey, if there's ever a testament, men, women, I don't care who you are, there's ever a testament for men concerning looking upon another woman, whether it's a literal woman, whether it's some airbrushed image of a woman, whether it's some digital image of a woman, here's something you need to consider with what the man's response was back with David. He said, David, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam? In other words, this is somebody's daughter. Is not this the wife of Uriah the Hittite? This is somebody's wife. So before you take all of that into your mind and your eyes, whenever you see a lady, you need to remember two things. That's somebody's daughter. And that quite possibly is somebody's wife. tell you you'll think twice about that when you get a little girl in your own house and you think what if this was some lustful eye looking at my baby okay that's not a part of the story but it is part of the story all right uh-huh so he has Uriah come home. He's basically putting a lot of, you know, a lot of dependence upon Uriah. Uriah, you're a prized man. Come on home. I want you to come home. And he begins to ask him, how is the battle? How is Joab? How are the soldiers? And here is Uriah. He gives his report. He's doing his duty. He's a mighty man. He's there to protect the king. Amen. Has the king's best interests in mind. And David tells him, he says, Uriah, you've been out there on the battlefield. Why don't you go on home, Uriah, to your wife? And he sent a mess of meat after Uriah. And the Bible says whenever morning came, there came an understanding that Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with the rest of the servants. Because Uriah had some reasoning. He couldn't get comfortable. He couldn't be relaxed when all the other soldiers in the ark of God for that matter is out there fighting. He had a sense of duty. I have your best interests in mind and I can't be relieved from my post although I'm home. Oh, we're going to get somewhere tonight. I know I'm taking a long time and you probably hate me for it but that's all right. I am who I am. Amen. Number two, David the second time. Now he gets Uriah drunk. Have a little tipsy. Now go home to your wife. He ain't thinking clearly. He's not thinking right. He'll go. But the Bible says he still remained by the king's house and did not go down to his own house David's asking all these things what's your deal David I think there's insight given to us in Proverbs 14 14 the Bible says this in Proverbs it says the backslider everybody say in heart the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways and a good man shall be satisfied from himself Notice the terminology of a good man being satisfied from himself. It is not that he's satisfying himself, or that would be too similar to a backslider in heart, desiring his own ways. But if I might today, he is satisfied from himself, or he is satisfied away from himself. His satisfaction is not from himself, but from another, from himself. It's beyond him. 
His satisfaction comes from another. It's not in him. But the backslider in heart is filled with his own ways. And here thus we have David. David took Uriah out because Uriah wasn't performing and functioning the way David wanted him to. He wasn't acting the way David wanted him to act as he returned from battle. And Uriah, rather than giving into the persuasiveness of David, he stood resolute. He stood committed. He was loyal to the ark. He was loyal to David because he had David's best interest in mind. Can I tell you too, something tonight? There are mighty men in your life. There are mighty people in your life. Sometimes it's not just people. Sometimes it's things, but you can label them whatever you want to. They are things that have your best interest in mind. If I can state it like this, they are things that have your best interest in mind. Thank God for your bishop. Thank God for your youth leader. Uh, thank God for little old me, your pastor. Thank God for his word. Thank God for all these things that we could term as mighty things in your life. And the reason why some people People start to remove those things from their life. It's because those things are not acting in accordance that their backslidden heart wants them to act. They want the leverage. They want the loophole. But that pastor and that bishop and that youth pastor still stands there resolute and says, I can't leave my post. I got your best interest in mind. I'm saying, well, oh God. We're looking for the word to bend, to accommodate our lifestyle. But it's still black and white. It's still true. And so we want to remove the mighty things in our life. Because they're not accommodating the way we're wanting to live right now. Or he thought I'd be done before now. Forgive me. Because I know not what I do. Look now. David, how did this happen for you? Look now. He became backslidden in his heart. He performed an act. But look at Proverbs. I get all kinds of wisdom from Proverbs. Please, I've admonished you before. Read it every month. Proverbs 13 and verse 21. Look at the scripture. It says, evil. Everybody say evil. Say this three words right here. Evil pursueth sinners. but to the righteous good shall be repaid. I gotta, I gotta talk to this congregation this evening. Because right here with those three words of evil, pursueth, and the ETH means it pursues and continues to pursue. Who, what, sinners. It's just a testament, folks, how relentless a life of sin is. Evil never stops in its pursuit of a sinner. This is the reason why I believe tonight, folks, that once a person has flirted with sin, once a person has gave in somewhat to sin, it does not get easier to turn away from that, but it becomes harder to deal with that because our flirting and our sinning has started the pursuit of evil upon upon our life 
David, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you removing a mighty man? Why is all this taking place? Because he had a little nugget of evil, a little nugget of sin, a little nugget of flirting, amen, that came upon him. And the moment of time that happened, hell unleashed its dogs of evil and said, get him, get him, get him. It is not the mindset, I'll do this once and it will just be once, it'll be over with. No, because when you do that once, evil is on your pursuit. Somebody hear me right now. Folks, I see the posse sometime, the posse sometime of evil that's on the verge of overtaking someone that's just committed one wrong. But because they went that way, evil's coming over. Evil's trying to take them down a path. Evil's trying to entangle them. Evil's trying to wrap cords around them. Hallelujah. David, how would it be possible? Amen. You know, you had to know Uriah surely well. You reaccounted him as a mighty man. He was one of your soldiers and one of your warriors. You had to know Uriah fairly well. Yet you're willing to take his wife and you're willing to take his life. Amen. You used his own loyalty that he had towards you as a skilled warrior. And now you've used it to kill him. How can that take place? Because evil pursues sinners. Listen. All it takes is for something like that to whet the appetite of sin. Listen to me clearly. Because I only have a couple of major points here that anybody needs to latch their mind around of really to take home and put in your back molars. Sinful appetites. Listen to me. What is it that caused all this? Because sinful appetites will cause a person to remove the mighty men. Things, men, prayer, word, church, church service. Friday fusion. Sinful appetites will cause a person to remove the mighty men in their life. Ultimately, David removed Uriah the Hittite because he paused in fighting the Lord's battle and secondly, because his appetite got wet with sinful things. Ladies and gentlemen, there would have never been a more remorseful event or time in Scripture than whenever Herod took the life of John the Baptist, the one who was called, I hear a voice in the wilderness, saying, prepare you the way. John the Baptist was the voice. There was never a more remorseful time in Scripture than when Herod took the voice or John the Baptist from his life because he was the man, said, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's life. That the wife, that was true. That was emphatically true. But at this moment in time for Herod, it did not harmonize with his life, with what he was wanting to hear. What John was saying, he had Herod's best interest in mind. But Herod removed the voice of a mighty man because of the sin that he was consumed with. Stand with me. I've already went too long. I got more I could talk about, but I don't want to burden you all. Of everything accounted in Scripture, listen to me. 
If everything accounted in Scripture, you look at some of the failures of David. He lied to Ahimelech, the priest. He changed his behavior before Achish, the king of Gath. He vowed to kill Nabal. He takes cover among his enemies. Listen to me. He tolerated the actions of Absalom, his own son. He numbered the people. Yet after all of that laundry list of mistakes, here's something, though, that God held on to in 1 Kings 15, 5. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, say, only in the matter of Uriah. Why? You number the people and all this stuff and take place in. Why is this such a matter? Because whenever you remove the influence of mighty people in your life, people sin. And as long as they always keep the voice of the mighty people that have their best interest in mind, in their life, there's roads to recovery. There's rows of this. But whenever they start, listen, folks, and I'm not doing this for no self-vendetta, but whenever you start cutting the voice cords of your pastor, hear me today. Whenever you remove the influence of your youth pastor and say, well, that's just Brother Mason. You do a lot of things, folks, and find roads back and roads of recovery because you keep people in your life that have your best interests in mind. Whenever you start, though, removing the mighty men, where's the voice of reason? The Bible told them, I know I'm having you stand, but that's all right. A lot of times we have you set for preaching and stand for the reading. I'll have you stand for preaching now. Hallelujah. A lot of time in Isaiah, the Bible spoke to Sodom and Gomorrah of all people, of all of the hideous things that happened to them. You know what his statement was to them? He said, why don't you all come and let us reason together? He said, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, But what happened? They had removed the voice of the mighty in their life. Oh, they didn't even want to be able to reason or come to terms or find any healing or any passage. No, no, no. Because they removed the voice of the mighty. Brother Mason, you can come. I gotta be still. You can come. I could go on, just letting you know. But I won't. So David's last inspired words, and I'm closing. In this, he realizes that Uriah must be in this honor row. He has to mention Uriah because he's a great military man. He's a mighty man. But I believe there must be, Brother Terry McGee, there must be some gut-wrenching reminder in his stomach when he hits that last name. That's saying this, don't you ever, ever remove the people or the things that have your best interest in mind. Don't remove his word. Don't remove that prayer. Don't remove that voice of the prophet or the preacher or the teacher in your life. Because all along this journey, they've been the ones safeguarding you, David. All along the journey, whenever you've been in warfare, it's been your mighty men that have encircled you. And if you remove one of them, you cause a breach in your line of defense. You cause a breach in your line of defense.
Folks, I appreciate you this evening. If we could just bow our heads. I appreciate you this evening. Some of you just enduring what I've been saying tonight. But I have felt compelled for some reason to walk to this sacred desk tonight and deliver what I've delivered unto you for some purpose. And I might not know it this side of eternity. But let Proverbs speak to us. My son, if sinners or sin, might I say, entice thee, consent thou not. And you might not be even put in that compromising position if you just continue engaging in the battles of the Lord. Because truly we only find ourselves subjected to personal battles many times and temptations when we've drawn back from fighting His battles. Don't remove the mighty men. If I can say it like this, and I, listen, you understand right now that I'm, I'm not a person that always, I don't always throw off on this, okay? So you understand right now that I'm not just, this is a hobby horse and I just always throw off on this, all right? Okay? I don't think I've ever done this so far since I've been back home, forever for that matter. Listen to me. I'm, a lot, I'm everybody's pastor in this place, but I'm some people's cousins. I'm some people's uncles. I'm some people's brother-in-laws. I'm some people's brothers. I'm some people's sons. In spite of that, please don't remove the voice of this mighty man in your life. Because regardless of those external relationships we have, whenever I come to this place, I try with the best of my intention to operate with your best interest in mind. And I don't want the hounds of evil to be in pursuit of you. I don't want the hounds of evil to be in pursuit of you. I don't want you to sustain a wound and a, an injury upon your life that's going to stain you beyond measure. I want you to end the race well and have a life that's lived with no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. Let's pray right now together. Father, I love you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.